The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, as you can tell from my accent. I've worked for many years in Canada and also with various colleagues and organizations in the U.S. I'm retired from medical practice, but I'm still working in healthcare research and development. I see family caregiving as one of the most important su- supports for healthcare right across the world right now. So who are family caregivers? Well, they're the people who provide care to family members suffering health challenges. Family caregivers are the people who go on providing care when all the professional caregivers, like I used to be, have gone home. Family caregivers are the people that the healthcare systems of so many countries, not just ours, but across Europe, across various continents, rely on more and more. And here I'm going to make a confession. I'm an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Now, our episode today is about Alzheimer's disease and family caregiving at home. And I'm just going to summarize what Alzheimer's disease is and how it affects people. First off, it's a progressive disease that affects the brain, mostly of seniors, There's no cure, but medications and care do help with some of the symptoms. It affects roughly 5 million Americans and about 500,000 Canadians. It affects all aspects of a person's life, how he or she thinks, feels, and acts. It impairs things. It impairs mental abilities to understand, to think, to remember, and to communicate. It impairs the ability to make decisions so that a simple task performed for years becomes more and more difficult or even is forgotten altogether. It impairs the mental ability to find the right words and follow a conversation. It impairs the uh, mental ability to recall recent events. It impairs emotions and moods so the person seems uninterested, apathetic, or withdrawn. So the person loses interest in hobbies and activities they've previously enjoyed. And so the person loses the ability to control moods and emotions. It impairs behavior, which you see in the person's reaction to surroundings, reactions which seem out of character. It affects, impairs behavior in things like the person's repeating actions or words, 
statements or questions, the person hiding of possessions, the person having physical outbursts and restlessness. And it impairs the physical abilities, causing problems in the performance of the ordinary day-to-day tasks of self-care, such as eating, bathing, getting dressed, and taking care of your teeth. Now, to talk about family caregiving at home for a person with Alzheimer's disease, we have two guests, Ruth Drew and Joan O'Callaghan. They're both highly qualified professionals in their fields. Both have experience of Alzheimer's disease. Ruth is Director of Client and Information Services for the Alzheimer's Association, and she's based in Chicago. She works with people with Alzheimer's disease and with their family members. Joan is a faculty member at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto. Her experience of Alzheimer's disease is as a home-based family caregiver for her late mother who suffered from the disease. Joan made the decision to care for her mother at home while also continuing her career. Ruth's late grandfather had Alzheimer's disease, so both Ruth and Joan know firsthand how devastating the effects of the disease are on individuals, the persons, and their families. So welcome to the show, Ruth and Joan. Thanks so much. Thank you. Now, what I would like to talk about first is your involvement with home-based family caregiving for a person with Alzheimer's disease. Starting with Ruth, please would you tell us about your work with home-based family caregivers with Alzheimer's disease, or at least for persons with Alzheimer's disease. Ruth? Well, thanks. Our desire is to stand with people with this disease and their uh, family caregivers. And so we do that in a a variety of ways. One is through our 24-hour helpline. We're able to talk to caregivers anytime they need to talk. And it can be just a simple information question, or it can be very complex issues, helping them problem solve, helping them work through a crisis. So that's a big part of what we do every day. We also have a network of support groups and education programs across our 70-plus chapter network. And uh, in addition, we have an incredible website, alz.org, which provides so much information. It also provides a way for caregivers to connect with each other through our message boards. Joan, I'm going to ask you, please tell us your, about your involvement with home-based family caregiving, particularly in relation to your, the care you provided for your late mother. Joan? But, um, when you said that the experience is devastating, it absolutely is. As my sister put it, we lost our mother on the installment plan. Uh, she first began to show uh, signs of cognitive impairment when she was about 80 years old. And the disease was very slow to progress. And I think our situation was fairly typical. I'm sure uh, Ruth could probably confirm this, in that I was the one out of the three of us, or three siblings, who was most available to care for her. I'm widowed. I don't have um, a family to care for of my own. And I had been staying at my, with my mother since my husband had, had passed away. 
so it fell to my lot to look after her. Now, we were fortunate in that some of the things that are um, common to Alzheimer's didn't occur. My mother did, never wandered, and she didn't become violent, so it was a little bit easier for us to make that decision to care for her at home. However, as the disease progressed, of course, the challenges grew more and more, and I became very concerned that I would be unable to continue to care for her. We did check out nursing homes, and we came away just terribly depressed, uh, in tears, actually, and we didn't feel that in, in good conscience we could, we could put our mother in a nursing home. And so we began to look for caregivers to come in and to provide us with some support. And that's exactly what we did. We hired one caregiver, and then as time and the disease progressed, we brought in a second one. And that situation worked very well for us. Um, my mother lived a lot longer than anybody expected her to, and her passing at the end was peaceful and, and painless. Um, so it was a very difficult situation, and it was a very difficult decision to make. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad that we did do it. Ruth, how typical is what you've just heard in, in your work? How often do you hear stories just like that? Well, we hear stories like this every day, and I have to say uh, what Joan described is very typical, but I should also say that each family situation is unique. And so while many people are able to be cared for at home, that's not always possible. And also there's a wide variety in long-term care options. Sometimes... Uh, depending on where a person lives, there may not be a long-term care option that they're happy with. But there certainly are many that are doing a great job. And so it really depends on the situation. In my own family, my mother was my grandfather's primary caregiver, and she was able to care for him at home for a long time, which was what they both preferred. But my big, strong, six-foot-tall Swedish grandfather, uh, when he was no longer ambulatory, my, my little petite five-foot-three mother was not able to lift him and, and do transfers and bathe him and all of that. So just for simple physical practicalities, he had to be in a long-term care facility, and our family's experience was a very good one. She was able to find one where she was very satisfied with the care. She continued to be very, very involved, but she wasn't doing the hands-on heavy lifting. Understood. Joan, yes. have you spoken to other families who decided um, to provide care at home and basically to stay at home? I've spoken to a lot of people who do have family members with Alzheimer's, but I only know of one offhand who actually did continue to care for the parent at home. And it was um, a number of years ago, the, it was the father, and so I can certainly relate to what Ruth is saying about the physical tasks because that was one of the challenges that we faced as well. Um, and my friend was the only one, again, in her family who was not married, and so it fell to her lot to care for her father. And she did care for him at home, but in the process she discovered um, that she really needed a lot of support, didn't know where to find it, and ended up actually creating an organization called the uh, Caregiver Support Network um, as a result of her experiences. I think they, they were quite difficult. And obviously she has gone on to... 
use those experiences as the base of a career. But most of the people that I have spoken to have had the parent in a nursing home. Um, I do have um, a friend, a colleague, whose mother is now in the early stages and is in one of the situations that Ruth described. The, the home is in a rural area where they really don't have access to the kinds of, of resources that we have in a city like Toronto or Chicago. And I think that she's finding it very difficult. Um, she's running back and forth and back and forth to the house and trying to, to keep things going there. Joan, I'm going to just butt in here because we've only a, a moment or two before sure. the break, and I just want to ask Ruth this question. Have you any statistics about how many people decide to do what Joan did and stay at home, so to speak, and how many people actually, in the end, go into some kind of care that you described? Do you know what well, the proportions are? Uh, I, I can tell you this that about 70% of people with Alzheimer's and related dementias are being cared for by family members and, and in the home. Now, um, whether or not they are care- those 70% stay in the home through the very end of the disease, I couldn't say. There, I think there is a high proportion of folks who do end up in long-term care in the very late stages. Also, we know that about 40 to 60% of folks in assisted living and nursing home facilities have Alzheimer's or some other dementia or cognitive impairment. Okay. Now, we are heading for the break, so it is time. And I'm going to say, first of all, that um, this is a very promising discussion, and we're coming back. Uh, My announcement is that I'm Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Ruth Drew and Joan O'Callaghan, You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We'll definitely be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Best Boomertowns delivers the inside scoop on the best 21 places to relocate or retire in the U.S. Listen to columnists, town bloggers, and local residents as we highlight a town each week. Talk show host Nancy Shaka brings you the best and the brightest. As a baby boomer, you experience Beatlemania, Woodstock, Vietnam, and the women's movement. Today, you're educated, health-minded, and thinking about where to spend your future. Tune in at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, to Best Boomer Towns every Thursday on the Voice America Variety Channel and start planning the best rest of your life. When your car starts to gasp and sputter, you take it in for a tune-up. But what about when you get tired and need help? Sounds like it's time for a life tune-up. Simple, straightforward advice and techniques to help inspire and guide you in weathering life's challenges and finding your true purpose. Each week, Lauren and Shore Slocum will give you the tools to tune up your life in a way that's easy and fun. Stop making excuses and live your life. Tune in to Life Tune-Ups, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel and tune up your life today. Are you a wow, a wise, outrageous woman? a certain age who wants thrilling work, vibrant health, 
joyful relationships, financial freedom, and the new F word, fun, in the next stage of life? Join host Lynn Schreiber in the Wow Zone each week where you'll meet amazing women who are creating lives filled with passion, purpose, and pizzazz. In the Wow Zone, broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Anything is possible. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Ruth Drew and Joan O'Callaghan. Our topic is Alzheimer's disease and family caregiving at home. Now, I want to talk about the challenges. You'd mentioned already some of these, but I want to go into a bit more detail. Um, Joan, what were the greatest challenges you experienced, and how did you go about overcoming them? Oh, there were a lot of challenges, and as my mother's disease progressed, uh, those challenges changed and they grew. Um, if I had to choose one challenge that was probably the greatest, though, it wasn't so much with my mother, it was me. And I, I'd really be interested in Ruth's response to this. And that was my own initial unwillingness or inability even to accept what was happening to my mother. Um, and my own helplessness in the face of, um, of this, it, the relentless progress that this disease makes. Uh, over time, I did come to accept it, um, but that was probably my biggest and my, my worst and my hardest challenge of all had to do with my own attitude and my own um, reluctance to accept it. Um, the physical changes were very difficult. Uh, Ruth has already talked about her grandfather, and certainly that was one of the things that was difficult for me was I, I wasn't able to bathe my mother. Um, she, um, As her cognitive impairment grew, she was less able to understand the kinds of things that I was asking her to do or wanted her to do. Um, and then in the later stages, she began to have seizures. And the seizures absolutely terrified me. Um, I know after the first one, and we did take her to the hospital to make sure that there wasn't a stroke or some other um, situation involved, uh, I begged my sister to come over one morning because the caregiver was not going to be there and I didn't want to be alone with her in the event that another one of these happened. We didn't have very many seizures and they were controlled by medication, but um, for me those were terrifying. I'm not a medical professional and I didn't know what to do. So um, it was, there were just challenges and challenges and challenges. Ruth, first of all, what about the particular challenge of seizures? How often do you come across that? And then just generally, what are the most common types of challenges um, for people like Joan caring for someone with Alzheimer's disease at home? Well, specific to the seizures, I, I think any time you have a neurological degenerative disease like Alzheimer's, you may have all sorts of symptoms. So certainly seizures fall within 
those normal ranges, but they're not something that we hear about all the time. They're more more rare, I think, for people with Alzheimer's. Uh, so not everyone experiences those. But when Joan talked about the grieving that goes along at each stage, I think we, we grieve each loss as the person is no longer able to do and be uh, the way they were, and so that that is a huge piece, and that emotional and psychological piece cannot be underestimated, and that's why I think the support of um, being able to reach out and talk to somebody and talk to somebody who gets it, who understands support groups and helpline calls and, and uh, the care consultations and all of those kinds of things that are available to people are incredibly important. And when I talk to caregivers, they tell me, you know, my support group saved my life. I don't think I would have made it without having somebody to talk to about this. That's really a very, very important point because what it suggests is that it's not so much medical things. It's actually support of a social kind that's needed. And if I can just ask you this first, Ruth, and then Joan, would you agree with that statement that I've just made? Absolutely. Yes, Joan? Yes, oh, definitely. Yeah, okay. Now, Joan, I'm going to carry on with you. More about the challenges. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay, you've talked about the challenges to yourself, and you've Mm -hmm. been very open about it. Please tell us more. What about your health, your quality of life, your work? What were the challenges you experienced with those, and how did you deal with those challenges? Well, um, my health really was not affected. Gordon, I think you know that um, I had cancer a number of years ago, and since that time, I'm very careful um, and really do take care of my health. So that seemed to be unaffected, and my work, I'm very fortunate in teaching at the university and that we have a very flexible schedule, and so it, I was not tied down to an, a nine-to-five requirement that a lot of others would be, but certainly in terms of my quality of life um, and the social aspect, it was definitely affected. Uh, in the early stages, it wasn't too bad. My mother, as I said, was not somebody who wandered, who became violent, and she would watch television happily and, and put herself to bed. But as time went on, I needed, um, first of all, I couldn't stay out very long or very late with friends. I needed to get back. I needed to be able to put her to bed. And then as the disease progressed, I had to be there to feed her. Uh, and it got to the point where shortly before we made the decision to go to hiring caregivers, I couldn't go out. I, I found that um, we did have a no, well. We did have a caregiver, the first one at this point, who was with us five days a week from nine to five, and that freed me up in terms of my work. But I was coming home, and I wasn't able to get to any of my own work, whether it was you know planning lectures or marking papers or going out with friends or uh, talking on the phone until after nine or nine thirty at night until I had uh, put her to bed because I needed to do everything um, to feed her, uh, to, you know, undress her and dress her for bed and wash her. Um, And then on the weekends, weekends would come and go and I wouldn't put my nose out the door because I couldn't, uh, I didn't feel I could leave her alone. Uh, My siblings would come periodically and and, uh, spell me off for a while. I remember on one occasion my sister walking in and said, go, go for a walk, go get yourself a cup of coffee, do something, I'll stay here. Um, so those challenges were really um, probably the biggest ones that I faced. Um, 
just in terms of having to adjust friendships and um, the kinds of things that people take for granted just were not options that uh, that were available to me over time. Right. Ruth, um, you've mentioned that every situation, you told us that every situation is unique. So please would you give us a sense of the range of these personal challenges for the home-based family caregivers, these people who you work with, what you see, and the kind of support you offer them or point them to. Um, please, please comment about that broad picture that you see. Certainly. Well, we see caregivers who are uh, themselves aging. If it's the spouse, oftentimes the caregiver may have their own health concerns. If it's an adult child, they may be raising their own kids, trying to get their kids through school or through college, working a full-time job, and also trying to give good care to a parent or an aunt or, or so forth who may be living in the home or may still be living in their own home or or in a long-term care facility or whatever. What we see is that just as Joan described, over time, this disease, caring for someone with this disease becomes a 24-7 job. And, I mean, I couldn't do that when I was 21, let alone now. So when you're talking about an 85-year-old who has a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job, it's just not possible for anybody to do this on their own. Everybody needs help because, and oftentimes we see not only is their time affected, but finances are constrained. Oftentimes friends don't know how to help or don't know what to do and and kind of fall away. And a person may not be able to do the things, as Joan was describing, that really feed them and keep them healthy. So oftentimes it does affect the health and well-being of the caregiver as well as, you know, the decline of the person with the disease. So what we see very often, what I've seen working with families, uh, is that getting a break can be number one. Oftentimes caregivers tell us what I really need is just a break. If I could just have a couple of hours to go have lunch with a friend or go to a doctor's appointment or or do something, then oftentimes that can be a lifesaver in and of itself. Right. Now, mention cost and Obviously, this is a question that differs between the two countries, Canada and the U.S. But, Joan, what about the cost for family caregivers in the Canadian situation? And do you have any impression of what it's like in the U.S.? I'm not sure about the U.S. I know that the costs for home care here, home caregiving, um, are absolutely prohibitive if you decide to go the route that we did. Now, we were fortunate uh, in that uh, my father's estate was uh, sufficient to, to care for that. And we know, we decided among the three of us that this is how we would spend his money and that it's how he would have wanted his money spent. Um, but in terms of hiring private caregivers, you're looking at basic salary for them, plus overtime for evenings and weekends, um, holidays, uh, we, for a lot of these people, would like their income tax covered. Um, we took out insurance as well in the event that one of them became injured on the job because they were doing things such as lifting my mother, which could result in a back injury for them. Um, as a perk, we also paid um, for what we call in Toronto a metro pass, which is uh, um, a pass for transit for one of them to get to our place and, and uh, home again. 
There was the cost of special equipment. As my mother's uh, health deteriorated, we needed to make modifications to the bathroom. We rented a special mattress for her bed so that she wouldn't get uh, um, bed sores. We uh, rented a piece of equipment called a Hoyer lift to transfer her from her bed to the wheelchair. Uh, things like that all cost money. And so, yes, it, w- it was a very expensive uh, way to go. And there, uh, there really is very little in the way of tax breaks for that. Right. Now, this is a long question, so I'm mm-hmm. going to defer Ruth's answer, please, until after our break, mm-hmm. um, because plainly it's a question that every family must be faced with when they're making these kinds of decisions. So I'm now going to go into the break, take us to the break. It's going to be a short one. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Ruth Drew and Joan O'Callaghan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America channel. And please come back um, because we have a lot more to talk about. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc. Letter G at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Ruth Drew and Jonah Callaghan. Our topic is Alzheimer's disease and family caregiving at home. Now, we were talking about costs before the break, and I want to ask Ruth this question. What advice do you offer to family caregivers you work with on things like costs and services that can help financially? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because that's one of the ways in which we can really be helpful to families. Unless you've been through this, nobody's an expert on how you pay for care for a loved one. And so 
these are the kinds of things where we can really help give the information that people need and refer them to the right resources. And as Joan described, it it can be astronaut, you know, extremely expensive, and it also varies depending upon a person's uh, ability to pay. And so for people who can pay out of pocket, certainly they have the most choices and and it can be extremely expensive for, I would say, in most places in the U.S., probably paying for home care is the most expensive way to go. And it does provide a lot of choices. There are also a lot of very high-quality memory units, long-term care uh, facilities that specialize in memory care and may only be for private pay. In addition, there are lots of home-based services for people who meet the health and income requirements. And they may not cover everything, but they may cover certain things that can help a person stay in the home longer if that's what they want and what the family wants. So it, it's a complicated thing, and uh, and there are lots of different resources, but that's where an organization like the Alzheimer's Association can be helpful in getting people to the right resources for their specific needs. I'm going to go back to Joan, and yes. I'm going to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think there would be be a time that a time would come when you the family caregiver would no longer be able to cope with all that family caregiving requires now i'm not just talking about the financial aspects now i'm talking about the entire picture did you ever think that there would come a time when it would no longer work for you yes Definitely. Um, Again, as my mother's illness progressed and the demands on me grew, um, there were times, there definitely came a time when I felt that um, I had come to a crossroads with the situation. Certainly the physical changes, uh, I've already referred to, you know, showering her and and, uh, the physical kinds of things were beyond me. there was one occasion where my mother had fallen asleep in her chair and had very gently slid forward until she landed on the floor. Now, the, the floor was, was thickly carpeted and she wasn't injured. But um, I couldn't lift her, and while I could have gotten her up on her feet, had she understood what I was asking her to do, it wouldn't have been a problem. But her cognitive impairment was such that she didn't understand when I would ask her to put her hand here or there so that I could help her up. And I ended up running to the phone and calling my brother and my brother-in-law, both of whom arrived within 15 minutes and were able to get her up. It was things like that that made it very, very difficult. And what I also spoke about earlier is the amount of time that I was needing to spend in the home, and that was getting more and more. And uh, so I went to my siblings, and I, I did say, I said, look, we're going to have to consider a nursing home because I simply can't do this anymore. It's beyond what I can do. And uh, that's when we started looking at nursing homes. And um, even the better ones, we just came away with a feeling that that was just not what we wanted to do with our mother. And that's when we began to explore the private caregiver option. But, Gordon, there is one thing that I really feel I need to say, and it it relates to this, and it also relates to your earlier question about uh, the money, the cost factor. And that's where you have other family members involved. There has got to be consensus. Some of the worst 
stories I've heard about have been with siblings disagreeing on the spending of money on a parent's care. And that may be leading into another direction, but it really is key. Right. Ruth, I'm going to talk, ask you about this question of time coming when, frankly, people can no longer cope with the situation. And, of course, as Joan has just said, you know, the financial challenges to families who may not always agree among themselves about what needs to be done, what, needs, what money needs to be spent and so on, complicate that, quest, that question. So really my question is this. Um, is it inevitable that sooner or later um, home care giving will come to a challenge that cannot be met by a particular family in a particular set of circumstances? And if there is such a situation, what would you regard as the warning signs that family caregivers should be looking out for? Hmm, that's a great question. And once again, I have to go to the uniqueness of, of each situation. I would not say that it is inevitable for everyone. I would say that in certain families, based on what they're able to do in their specific circumstances, it may be inevitable for them. But certainly we see uh, plenty of examples of families who have had the wherewithal to care for their loved ones at home through the end of their disease. But I think what's key is for families to have the information and support that they need and then and be, as Joan was saying, in consensus. And, and that's... I've worked with a number of families where we were able to have a family meeting and talk about what is in the best interest of the person because even when there are strong disagreements, generally everyone wants to do the right thing. They just may not know or agree about what the right thing is. So sometimes we can be a helpful part of that. And in addition, there are some wonderful tools on our ALZ.org website. One of them is CareFinder, and that is a great tool to help families work together to identify the information that they need, uh, things that, that they can discuss with their doctors, ways of planning care together and collaborating on the care. And then if they do want to look at long-term care options, Senior Care Finder is another resource that in the U.S. Uh, have, has all of the licensed facilities along with specific information and traits of each facility available so that a person, even if they are caring for someone long distance in another state, can get all the information that they need. And that can be found at Senior Housing Finder. Okay. Now, I'm going to go off in a different direction. What we've been talking about is very hard. Uh, it's obviously this is a major challenge for people and for families. But I want to ask the opposite question, starting with Joan. Are the times, were the times for you when, so to speak, the sun shone? The sun shone? Yes. Yes, there were. Um, I felt throughout this that we had made the right decision with my mother. We were also very fortunate with the caregivers that we did bring into our home. Um, they were both very experienced in caring for um, Alzheimer's patients, and they were wonderful with her. 
and it made me feel good to see my mother. She often, she was always clean. She was always comfortable. She was always beautifully dressed. The caregivers did little things like they, they gave her manicures and they kept her hair colored and pretty, and she would have liked that so much. And she would sit and smile at, and, and, you know, wherever she was in her own head, she seemed to me to be happy and content. And for me, that was really wonderful. And in the end, when, um, the coroner came because my mother died at home. And the first words out of the coroner's mouth were, I can see that she has been well cared for. That really meant a tremendous amount to me. So I think that the sun shone um, in a lot of ways, for her and for me. Ruth, same question. Where, where do you see the sun shining? That's really a wonderful question, and I have to say, when I talk to caregivers, I hear again and again, this has been the hardest job of my life, but the best. I wouldn't have traded a minute of it. I would do the same thing over again. I think there are tremendous rewards when you're giving of yourself at this level, and there are moments of connection that wouldn't have happened any other way. So even though it's a terrible, devastating disease, even though it may be one of the hardest jobs that exists, it also caregiving is also a job with great uh, satisfaction and reward. And I heard that from my own mother. She uh, repeatedly said, it has been an honor to do this. I wouldn't have had it any other way. That turns into a question about advice. Um, we've only a short time, and I'm going to narrow the question. Is what you've both said about the sun shining, is that the kind of message you, you would want to give to family caregivers who are just starting down the road that Joan has traveled and that you, Ruth, has seen people traveling? You talk to them about the sun shining. Um, Ruth, first of all. I absolutely do. I think one of the things that we can give families who have just gotten some devastating news and don't know where to turn is that there is hope and joy in the midst of Alzheimer's disease and that the key is to get as much information and support as early as possible. That makes everything else more more possible, more doable, and that people can thrive and have joy and have wonderful moments in the midst of such a terrible disease. And Joan, I think you would agree with that, would you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Again, I'm going to quote my sister. She said about our mother, she cared for us and now it's our turn to care for her. And um, it's a very difficult road to travel, um, but given the choice to do it again, I would have to say that I would do it again in a heartbeat. My rewards were seeing my mother smile, seeing her in her own home um, with her dignity intact, always treated with affection, always treated with respect, knowing that she had lived a lot longer than her physician thought she would, um, and knowing that, um, that, that, you know, that I had been able to give back some of what she'd given to me. Right. Now, I'm going to have to break mm-hmm. in because the tyranny of time is with us. We've got to take a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Averley, and my guests are Ruth Drew and Joan O'Callaghan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. 
the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Voice America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Tune into a program that's all about empowerment and human potential. It's all about navigating your life. In fact, that is the name of the program. Tune in every Monday morning for the Navigating Your Life show with host Dr. Nathaniel J. Williams. Each week we'll discuss a range of topics to help you with the challenges facing us every day. The information given can be implemented immediately and may change your life forever. The Navigating Your Life show is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Well, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc. Letter G at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Ruth Drew and Jonah Callaghan. Our topic is Alzheimer's disease and family caregiving at home. Now, here's the question which I'm going to address to both of them, uh, both of our guests. Let's suppose that you as individuals are appointed by your governments to oversee the development of support for family caregiving in the situation we're describing. That is, family caregiving at home for Alzheimer's disease. What are the things you would propose and why? Joan first. Well, I think my first task would be to um, co-op people such as Ruth and try and change the culture to one which recognizes and values um, older people. Um, because I think, I'm not sure entirely that that's entirely true right now, but certainly I would want to bring in um, tax breaks for people who are in a family caregiving situation, because I think that's really important. Um, we should be able to write off a lot more of the expenses involved than we are able to do. I think we need greater... Um, support. I, I can't answer for what is happening in the States, but I know that in one or two cases where I did need to um, contact um, an agency, a, a government-funded agency for some support, it just wasn't there. They were only caring for the people who were in their own, on their own lists, and they weren't about to extend that to people such as myself and my mother, even though we're taxpayers as well. 
Um, I think, too, that um, we need to have some kind of breaks uh, for people like myself who also are employed. You know, in my situation, uh, my employment wasn't affected by my caregiving, but I think for some other people that would be a huge thing. I've heard stories of people who've had to actually stop working in order to care for a family member, and I think that there needs to be something in the way of leave of absence um, for people doing that. They shouldn't have to leave a job completely and a salary in order to care for somebody who's become incapacitated. Ruth, same question. What what would you propose? Well, I would tend to agree, and I think... Joan hit on it when she talked about advocacy and public policy. I think certainly we need legislation that is friendly to caregiving and helps people in their caregiving journey. I would also say that this is currently a disease that has no cure. So one of the biggest things that concerns me is that while we have over 5 million Americans living with Alzheimer's, that number is expected to be 16 million by 2050 unless we do something to stop it. And so on the research front, I think that's a huge opportunity, and certainly we're supporting legislation that would also focus more money on research so that we can have disease-modifying drugs and work toward effective treatments. Ruth, I'm, I'm going to ask you a, uh, um, a question that arises out of some of our earlier discussion. It seems to me that Family caregiving at home for Alzheimer's actually saves the system money. First of all, would you agree with that? And secondly, if you do, do you see that as an important argument for changing public policy in the direction you're suggesting? Certainly. In fact, if you want specific numbers, we have our 2010 facts and figures on our ALZ.org website. But I, I know it's billions of dollars in the U.S. that are saved by family caregivers. Uh, if we were to pay out of pocket for that care, uh, it would bankrupt us now probably. But, yes, yeah, certainly there is ample reason to do whatever we can and, and have policies that promote caregiving at home um, because often that is what the family members may prefer, that may be what the person prefers. And so if we can help folks do it longer, it doesn't it enriches their lives, it enriches their quality of life, but yes, it also has a lot of financial impact. Joe? I'm yes. going to ask you a similar question, but not quite the same. Supposing you were um, standing for election mm -hmm. um, and you made this your political platform, what would be the, let's say, the top two points that you would make in your speech about doing more and better to support family caregiving along the lines of the things we've been talking about? What would be your top two? I think um, I would go at it from two different perspectives. Uh, the first one I definitely have to agree with Ruth, and that is the need to divert, divert uh, or devote a lot more in the way of resources towards research into this disease uh, so that we can come up with better medications and hopefully in the fullness of time a cure for it, even preventative measures. And secondly, um, again, for people like myself or people who make the decision to care for a family member at home, 
some sort of um, financial break, some kind of a tax credit for them that I think would encourage it. Because, yes, um, it does relieve pressure on the system when people do make the decision to care for someone at home. And they, they shouldn't have to be financially penalized for that. Okay. Ruth, if I read the newspapers correctly, I think President Obama made some move uh, um, by proposing some funding to support family caregiving. Is that funding likely to help in the kind of situations we're talking about, or was it for something else? Well, as I understand it, it does support caregiving, and if there are... Uh, if, if there are tax breaks and other incentives that allow people to uh, do more of the caregiving, then certainly that's something that's going to help those families who are dealing with Alzheimer's. We would also encourage companies uh, worldwide to consider additional elder care benefits in the workplace, and we see that as another way that uh, families dealing with Alzheimer's can be helped. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask you to comment on my own profession. We've just had, and we're having, a very insightful discussion. Do you think that, generally speaking, physicians know enough about the problems, the challenges of family caregiving, or do you think there's room for them to learn more? Um, Ruth, first of all, and then Joan. Well, certainly you've hit on a hot-button issue. There are a lot of physicians who are doing a wonderful job and who really understand that when they have a patient with Alzheimer's, they have two patients because they need to be attending to the caregiver as well. And, of course, there are also many who don't. And I hear researchers say that what... 90% of what we know about Alzheimer's we've learned in the past 20 years or so. So if a person hasn't kept up to date, they may not know enough, and they may not understand the ramifications for caregivers. One of the things that that our early stage advisory board has worked on recently is on principles for a dignified diagnosis in helping physicians, and that's available on our website. You can, you can find that there. Um, but it helps physicians know how to talk to the person with the disease as well as how to deal with the caregivers. Joan, the same question. What do you think about the medical profession's knowledge of family caregiving in the kind of situations we're talking about? Well, my experiences were fairly positive, and I would have to agree with, with Ruth that it's going to vary from physician to physician, both in terms of their knowledge and their insights and even their, their interest in caring for the patient and the caregiver in the context of the disease. Um, I mean, I was fairly proactive in our situation in that I did schedule some regular meetings with my mother's physician to go over what was happening to her with her and to get answers to some of the questions that I had and some of the things that were bothering me. And um, those were very important because I, I got good information from him that turned out to be quite helpful to me as I went along. Um, but I think that as, as time goes on, this is an area that's going to require more and more attention. Um, and so, yeah, I think anybody who is is not well-informed about Alzheimer's or even all not that, that not, not that interested in it has got to do some, some thinking there. Okay. Now, we are coming to the end, and I'd just like to make a comment to, to you both about 
doctors, particular aspects of physicians, particularly family doctors, family physicians, um, more and more there's emphasis on the, the importance of the relation between the family physician and others, you know, like nurse practitioners and so on, who are providing care in the community, um, that more and more the family caregiver is, to some degree anyway, the eyes and ears for the healthcare provider about the progress or the way the disease is, is beginning to affect the person in new ways and that kind of thing. So therefore, uh, it's my view, and this is my opinion, <laughs> promoting that idea of the relationship between the family physician, the nurse practitioner, and the family caregiver in the right kind of situation seems a good way to go. Now, uh, we are out of time, but I want to say, first of all, thank you very much to our listeners, and do please email us with your comments and questions because we would really be very pleased to hear your perspectives. And I want to say thank you um, to Ruth Drew and Jonah Callaghan for sharing with us your experience, your insights, and your advice. And for the, I think, very powerful message that you gave about the things, if you like, the sun shining, but perhaps the rewards of, for all the hard work and all the efforts and all the worry and all the stress on the family caregivers. In other words, it seems to be a vocation. It seems to be something that does bring um, some of its own reward, a sense that, yes, I, the family caregiver, have done or are doing, am doing, are doing a good job. So to you both, all strength for the work you're doing or the work you've done and let's all get the message out. Now, our next episode for Family Caregivers Unite is about music therapy for children with special needs. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Uh, see you next time. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around.